Well, dear friends, it's nice to be back again, not just here in the morning service, but the Lord willing again this evening. Now, I want to read just a few verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're just going to read just a a couple of verses, Uh, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. It was the, the great Greek philosopher Socrates who made a tremendous statement uh, and here's what he said an unexamined life is a life not worth living an unexamined life is a life not worth living and how true those words are by Socrates and as you read the Bible dear friends you find that we are called upon to examine ourselves from time to time. For example, do you remember what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in connection with the Lord's table? He says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And later on in 2 Corinthians he said to them, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And sometimes in our Christian lives we have to take the time to come aside and to examine ourselves. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to have a spiritual health check now you're conversing with uh, ordinary health, you go along to the doctors and you get a, a health check. Well, this morning we're going to have a spiritual health check. We're going to examine ourselves in relation to one thing, and that is in connection with our faith. Notice what Paul says here in verse 10. And this is very interesting. He says, Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And if you were to take the time to read the first epistle, to the Thessalonians, you would discover that he mentions faith no less than seven times. He mentions the word believe three times. Now, the word believe is actually the same word that is translated faith from the original Greek. So we have it mentioned ten times 
faith seven times and believe three times very interesting in six of the times he uses the word faith he describes it as your faith isn't that very interesting your faith speaking to the Thessalonian believers and what we're going to do this morning dear friends we're going to examine our faith thy faith your faith now you can't examine my faith I can't examine your faith you can only examine your faith and we're going to have a look at our faith and to see if there's anything lacking in it and I trust at the end of the meeting we'll be able to look back and we'll be able to examine ourselves to see if there's any deficiency in our faith now when we come to the Bible we must remember that faith is used in different ways let me mention three ways first of all there is the most common use of the word faith in the Bible and that is in the sense of trusting God for example the psalmist says O Lord my God in thee do I put my trust and that's how we use the word faith generally speaking as our trusting in God but then sometimes we find that faith is not used in that sense it is used in a different sense take for example what Jude says in that little epistle now it was his original intention to write to those believers with regard to the common salvation and I just wonder what he would have written with regard to the common salvation we don't know because he didn't write that because he was uh, impressed by the Lord to write unto them concerning the faith that was once delivered unto the saints he found it necessary to exhort them to contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints now in that sense faith is not used as trust it is used as a body of truth and doctrines you have the definite article the faith and that distinguishes it from mere trust in God now yesterday I was outside washing the wife's car <laughs> notice that I said the wife's car I've got to do it and I noticed in the avenue where I live four people two men and two ladies and I noticed that one of the ladies was actually walking and with the aid of two sticks they were going from door to door and I knew of course who they were immediately they were the Jehovah's Witnesses and I realized that sooner or later I should be getting a visit from the Jehovah's Witnesses which I did two men came along uh, nice men 
and of course I knew exactly what they believe and I said well now I know who you are you're Jehovah's Witnesses you've been to my door many times before I have argued I've debated with you with other Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, there's one thing we can't agree on and I'm not interested in the bottom of Armageddon or the 144,000 witnesses my concern is of what you believe concerning the Lord Jesus you deny his deity and you do not believe in the Trinity and of course they had to agree that that's exactly what they believe and so for about 20 minutes we had a friendly discussion and I had in those 20 minutes to try and defend to contend for the faith and I told them I believe that Jesus Christ is not a created being and I gave to them what they believe the highest of all Jehovah's creation that's their own terminology and they couldn't deny it they deny emphatically the Lord's deity and of course they deny the glorious trinity so dear Christian there come times in which you would have to contend for the faith as a body of doctrine and a body of truth and then the third usage of the word faith is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in which the Apostle Paul makes mention of nine gifts of the Spirit. And one of the nine gifts of the Spirit mentioned in that particular chapter, he says, to another faith. And in that connection, he's speaking of a supernatural gift of faith that is just more than the ordinary use of faith in the Christian life. Now, of course, there are those who believe that those gifts of the Spirit were just for the apostolic age. And then when the apostles died and we have the complete Bible, then there's no use for the spiritual gifts. They ceased. And there are, of course, those who take that particular view. There are others who believe that the gifts are still for today in the 21st century. For example, some would believe that the great George Muller uh, had a, a supernatural gift of the spirit uh, faith <laughs> if you know his life story you know that uh, in his lifetime he catered for over 20,000 orphans boys and girls no mother, no father fed them, clothed them, educated them think of it, over his lifetime over 20,000 orphans also in his lifetime he received nearly one and a half million pounds now remember this is the 19th century we're talking about over one and a half million pounds without asking anybody for one single penny ah they say 
That's a tremendous example of a supernatural gift of faith. But very interestingly, if you read the life story of George Muller, he emphatically denied that he had a supernatural gift of faith. And he said, what I have accomplished, you could have accomplished, or any other Christian could have accomplished. I did not have a supernatural gift of faith. Now that's a blow to those who believe that George Muller had a supernatural gift of, the, of faith. So there you see, dear friends, faith is used, first of all, as trust in God. Also used as a body of truth and doctrines. And of course, if you believe that there's still an existence, you can have a supernatural gift of faith. But what we're going to do this morning, we're going just to uh, use the word faith not as a body of truth, not as a supernatural gift, but just simply as trust in God from day to day. The common usage of the word faith. Now, what do we mean when we speak of faith? Very interestingly, the Bible does not give to us a definition of faith. How are we going to describe faith? Well, here's a lovely definition by Bishop O'Brien. Here's what he says. They who know what is meant by faith in a promise know what is meant by faith in the gospel. They who know what is meant by faith in a remedy know what is meant by faith in the blood of the Redeemer. They who know what is meant by faith in a physician, faith in an advocate, faith in a friend, know too what is meant by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lovely definition of faith. Trusting in him. Having faith in him. In what he says and what he does. Now then, here is the spiritual health check with regard to uh, faith and we're going to have a look very quickly and very briefly at five things that should characterize your faith and my faith in God five things here's the first one true faith in Christ is restful Secondly, true faith is joyful. Thirdly, true faith is practical. Fourthly, true faith is victorious. And then lastly, true faith is vocal. And these are the five things we're going to judge our faith this morning. First of all then, true faith in Christ is Restful. Here's what Hebrews 4 he says For we which have believed do enter into rest. 
Isn't that beautiful? We which have believed do enter into rest. True faith is restful. And if your faith is struggling, then your faith is undeveloped and is immature. True faith is restful. We are resting. We are leaning. We are trusting in the Lord himself. Take for example, what are we resting on for eternity? Our good works? Our morality? Our church going? Reading the Bible? Oh no friends. We are resting upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. We sang that lovely hymn this morning and I'm always blessed when I, when I hear it, when I sing it or I hear it sound. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, it but the whole, was nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I'm resting, you're resting, not on your good works, not your respectability, not your morality, not your church going. But as the hymn writer says, my faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. Faith in Christ is restful. Tell me, how's your faith? Is it struggling or is it restful? Secondly, true faith in Christ is joyful. You know, sometimes I think that the world outside must think us Christians are bunkers. That we live on another planet. Why? Because they say, you see those Christians in that new beginning church they, they love somebody that they've never even seen now how could you love somebody that you, you haven't even seen it's bad enough loving people that you can see but you Christians you, you love somebody that you can't even see that must be bonkers Now here's what Peter says. But he was writing to those Christians in the first century. He says, In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We have never seen him, yet we love him. And even though we haven't seen him, yet we have faith in him. And as we have faith in him, we begin to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, if you're familiar with some of the early heresies, do you know there was once a particular heretical sect? And here's how they judged a person to be spiritual. Now listen to this. This may make you laugh, but this is true. They judged a person's spirituality by how solemn he looked. 
The longer his face, ah, they say, do you see that man? Do you see that woman? Do you see the long face they've got? Ah, that man or that woman must be very spiritual. Because they were solemn. Long face, no joy, no excitement. No, no. Solemn. Serious. And that's how they judged spirituality. Oh, dear friends, so different is the New Testament. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And don't you think, if you put on a long face and you're solemn, that you're spiritual? You could be the very opposite. True faith in Christ is joyful. How can we not rejoice? Because our Saviour is alive. He has saved us. He's changed our lives. We're transformed. We're bound for heaven. We cannot but, but be joyful. With joy unspeakable and full of glory. I love Wesley's hymns. And on the anniversary of his conversion, he wrote that lovely hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. He, he wanted a thousand voices. One voice wasn't enough. Oh, he says, for a thousand voices to sing my great Redeemer's praise. True faith is restful. True faith in Christ is joyful. Because the Bible says, and don't forget this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the devil must do his utmost best to rob you of your joy, dear Christian. Don't let him do that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But then, thirdly, and very quickly, true faith is practical. Here's what James says. But wilt thou not know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Very interesting, in the first chapter of Thessalonians, Paul speaks of their work of faith. You see, true faith is practical. Now, I have here this little badge on, maybe you've seen it. And it just says 500. That's all. Just 500. Of course, it's a reference of what we were celebrating last month, the 31st of October. We were remembering the 500th anniversary of the Great Reformation that was brought about by Dr. Martin Luther. But he nailed those 95 faces on the church at Wittenberg and started the glorious reformation 500 years ago. Now, poor Martin Luther, he had problems with the epistle of James. And he called it a strawy epistle. Why was that? Well, Martin Luther got wonderfully and gloriously saved. 
his eyes were opened and he realized it's not going to the confession it's not with the other rites of the Roman Catholic Church it's not by fasting it's not by self mutilation mutilation but it is by faith God revealed to him the just shall live by faith and he got wonderfully saved by simply faith in Jesus ah but then he came to James epistle and he says what's this what's this works faith without works is dead now let me try and explain this friend there's no contradiction between what Paul says in his letters Romans 5 Romans chapter 5 verse 1 for example therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ no contradiction between what he says in Romans and what James says in his epistle what Paul is speaking about is that which justifies us in the sight of God faith alone what James is speaking about if I could put it this way is that which justifies us before people now if you say to your neighbour or your workmate whatever I want to tell you something I'm a Christian I'm saved by the grace of God that person has every right to say to you is that right? well then what's the evidence? what's the proof? you say you're a Christian? prove it because you can't take faith and put it under a microscope you can't take it to the laboratory and dissect it faith is abstract you have to produce evidence proof that you are a Christian is that what the Lord said? by their fruits not by their suits by their fruits shall ye know them and that's what James is speaking about true faith is practical <coughs> dear Christian listen to this that big world outside doesn't read the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Would to God they did. They are reading and looking at the gospel according to you and you and you and you and you. And dear friends, here's the challenge. If we are the only gospel they're reading then what kind of gospel are they reading from my life and from your life is your faith practical are you demonstrating your faith to the world outside that you are a true Christian because let's face facts sometimes the world says you see that, you see that bunch of Christians they're a lot of hypocrites of hypocrites they say one thing and do something else that's the testimony sometimes the church has one Christian misbehaves and we're all tarred with the same brush but oh the difference when they can see you and they say do you see that wee woman do you see that brother 
there's something different about that person. They, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't play bingo, they don't go here, they don't go there. there there's something different about their lives. My dear friends, the Bible speaks of three types of evangelism. And what did you know them? First of all, there is the, the public evangelism, the mass evangelism. You've had it here in Glasgow, the big campaigns by Billy Graham. Maybe we had them all those years ago. That's mass evangelism. Preaching to the thousands. And bless God, many were gloriously saved through those campaigns by Billy Graham and others. And then there's personal evangelism. One to one. Your next door neighbor, your friend, your workmate. Personal evangelism. But what about the third type of evangelism? that Peter mentions is here's what he says be always ready to give an answer to those that ask you a reason for the hope that is within you now do you see the difference always ready to give an answer to those they take the initiative and they come to you and they ask you tell me what's the reason of the hope that you have in other words they see something different in your life that comes and they, they tell me what is it what's the secret why are you different that's one tremendous type of evangelism and here's what the Lord says remember he says by this shall all men know you are my disciples if ye have love one for another and way back in the early church here's what the heathen said as they looked at the church behold how they love each other the heathen they could understand it look at them how they love each other so, true faith is restful. Is yours restful? True faith is joyful. Have you got a joyful faith? True faith is practical. Is your faith practical? And then, fourthly, and very quickly, true faith in Christ is victorious. Here's what John says This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our they tell me have you got any enemies you probably said strongly I'm so glad to say I haven't got an enemy in the world <laughs> haven't got an enemy in the world I've got good neighbours sorry to disappoint you dear Christian you've got three enemies do you know what they are you've got three enemies first of all the world around you. That's your enemy. Secondly, the old Adamic nature within you. That's your enemy. Dragging you down. And then the old devil behind you. See enemies. The world around you. The old Adamic nature within you. The devil behind you. There's your enemies. 
Uh, Joy mentions faith that overcomes the world. So what Paul says in Romans, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your faith, that you may prove whether it's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love how Dr. Phillips translates those words. Be not conformed to this world. Here's how he does it. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Isn't that wonderful? Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Because if we're not careful, Christian, by the television, by the radio, by newspapers, by magazines, it's so easy to allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. We are to be different. We are to be transformed, not conformed. And how are we going to do this? John tells us. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. That will give us victory over the world. Years ago, there used to be a lovely little chorus that we used to sing. And here's what it says. We were talking o'er together by and by. When we reached that holy city, you and I. How through faith we've overcome and have reached our heavenly home. We were talking all together, by and by. And in the glory, friends, we shall look back and we shall say, yes, we overcame the world with all its temptations by our faith, our trust in the living God. Now then, quickly and lastly, true faith in Christ is vocal. It's not dumb, it's vocal. Here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4. We also believe and therefore speak. Let me illustrate this. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 13 where where the writer says, Let your manner of life be without covetousness or love of money. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And what a promise that is. I will never leave thee, and I will never forsake thee. Now, what does the next verse say? Listen very carefully. So that we may boldly say... The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, because he has said something, then I can say something, and you can say, not just think it, friends. You can say it, sir. You can be vocal. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Oh, may God help us to be vocal in our faith. To spread it around and let it about. There's life in the risen Lord. It's vocal. Because he says something, I can say something. Not just think it, but I can say it. I must say, hallelujah. They tell me, dear friends, how's your spiritual health this morning? Is it restful? Is it joyful? Is it practical? 
as a victorious, as it noble. Now, only you can speak for yourself. Only I can speak for myself. How's your faith this morning? There's a spiritual health check. Our faith is to, to grow, is to increase. Do you remember that the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. It can't increase. It can abound. Now here's a question for you Bible students. When you have your lovely steak dinner afterwards when you go home, and you're sitting back and you're relaxing, here's the question I want to put to you. Don't turn on the television, not much on. Here's something to think about. Tell me, in eternity, will you still need faith? Or is it going to cease when you get there? Now, here's the verse to think about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the last verse says these words. And now abideth faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Love's going to continue in heaven. Hope's going to continue in heaven. And I believe that even in eternity, we're still going to have faith. Now, that's the question. You may not agree with me. You go home, you think it out, and then see Graham next Sunday, and he'll, and he'll sort it out for you. He's the theologian, and he'll sort it out for you. Because there are some who believe that when we get to heaven, faith shall give way to sight. Why does Paul say then, Nigh abideth? Faith, hope, love. Love's going to abide. Hope's going to abide. Why not faith? Now abideth faith, hope, love. That's the question. And Graham, you can let me know. Next time I've come with regard to it. They're going to bring all these things. They're going to be very busy today. That's your homework, friends. You've had your spiritual health check with regard to your faith in God. And oh, may God send us from this meeting. Not just content to come and listen to someone preaching. Anybody can do that. But to say, Lord, is there anything lacking in my faith? If there is, put it right. So that in the days to come, we shall have a faith that will be triumphant. The old chorus says, faith, mighty faith, the promises, and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities, and cries, it shall be done. And who knows, God might raise up at this meeting, another George Mueller, another woman of faith, that shall go out and show to the world, it's no vain thing to trust in the living God. For they that trust him holy, find him holy true. Oh, God loves faith. In fact, the Bible says, listen to this, Hebrews 11, without faith, it is not difficult, it is impossible to please him. You can't please God, it's impossible to please him without faith. May God strengthen your faith, may God strengthen my faith for his glory. And for his artists.